Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I'll be picking up your phone calls in just a wee little bit here. But I did want to share with you my rant for today. It's uh, over at HartmanReport.com. Combines two ways, uh, two very, you know, kind of popular and widespread ways of looking at history that political historians shall we say, have, have been looking at. I've shared with you many times over the years, uh, the Strauss and Howe, it's interesting, one of them was a conservative, one was a liberal, but they wrote a couple of brilliant books, Generations, this was back in the 90s, Generations and the Fourth Turning, I think came out in 98. And in the Fourth Turning, they suggest that basically every 80 years, America has, suffers from a severe economic crisis, followed by a war, followed by essentially a progressive reboot. The first one was in the 1770s. There was a, uh, such a softening in the economy in 1773 that it led to the Tea Act, you know, the, and the Stamp Act. I mean, you know, the Congress of, or the Parliament of the UK doing all these things to raise money and, and help out the uh, British East India Company. And that led right to the American Revolution. That was the first one. The second one, the Great Panic of 1856, where Abraham Lincoln made it to his bank literally with hours to spare and which I've written about in, uh, as I recall, in Unequal Protection. And uh, that was followed by the Civil War. That was 80 years after the American Revolution. 80 years after the Civil War, you had the great, you know, the Republican Great Depression of the 1930s, followed by World War II, which resolved in 1945. And of course, we are now just, what, four years short of 80 years away from that, which would suggest time for another depression and war. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe these, maybe what we're looking at are cycles within cycles, which I think is a, a fascinating perspective. Uh, Stephen Skowronek, in a 1993 book called Politics Presidents Make, wrote about this. It was revived by the, uh, in the New York Times last week by Professor Corey Robin. He notes that instead we should be thinking in terms of regimes that you get a president and he has a regime and the regime lasts longer than the president, sometimes even longer than the president lives. And that, well, I'll get to in, I'll, I'll fill in just a second. Hang. The Jeffersonian regime lasted from 1800 to 1828, he writes. This is in the New York Times. The Jacksonian regime from 1828 to 1860, the Republican regime, this is the basically Civil War and post-Civil War, from 1860 to 1932, 
the New Deal order from 1932 to 1980. And now we're at the end of the Reagan regime, which started in 1981. And now it's 40 years down the road from that. And he notes that when regimes are ending, what happens is that the party aligned with the regime starts losing power. The party opposed to the regime starts gaining power. Now, aligned with the Reagan regime was the Republicans. Opposed to it was the Democrats. And that the old regime becomes calcified. It becomes brittle. It becomes fragile. It's less vigorous. Whereas the new regime is where all the energy is. Right? And this, this new regime, frankly, I would say, is the new progressive regime. We're seeing it in these moves to unionize. We're seeing it in things like, well, here in Oregon, we've legalized all, we've decriminalized all drugs, except for pharmaceuticals, of course. And we're, you know, among other states as well to do this, have a, a right to die with dignity. I mean, we've, uh, you know, abortion is pretty solid here. In fact, California is preparing for after the Supreme Court ends Roe v. Wade by establishing abortion and birth control, which is the next big battlefield that is coming. In fact, it's already started. Texas SB 4 went into effect last week. SB 8 was the one everybody knows about, right? The one that said that you can make a $10,000 bounty by turning in somebody who helps a woman get an abortion. SB 4 just went into effect last week, and it limits the availability and the number of weeks after which, uh, after, after conception, during which you can use these pills that will induce an abortion. And so, you know, there, Texas is really clamping down this, this whole movement to put women back in the bedroom and the, and the kitchen, uh, you know, on the part of these white men in Texas who are running that state is going into overdrive and it's being picked up by red states all around the country. At the same time, blue states are moving in the exact opposite direction and saying, we acknowledge that women have rights equal to men and they should be able to control their own, their own fertility, their own reproductive uh, you know, capacity and, 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 and like that. So where does this go? There's a famous quote from Antonio Gramsci. He was the founder of Italy's Communist Party and, and he was put into prison in 1927 by Mussolini. And from prison, in his prison diaries, he wrote, the old is dying and the new cannot be born. In this interregnum, a great variety of morbid symptoms appear. I would submit to you that the rise of Trump's neo-fascism and the whole Trumpy thing is that morbid symptom that shows up during the interregnum, during that, during that transition period before the new has been born and before the old completely dies, but as both are happening. And therefore, if this analysis of history is accurate, and I believe it is, I'm, I'm not, in, in fact, I think I've got some pretty good evidence to back it up in this article that I published over this morning over at HartmanReport.com. Uh, if that's true, then the whole Trumpy phenomenon is going to be a temporary one. It'll be short-lived. And, you know, it'll just be something that's happening around that transition, that power transition. So I'm actually very optimistic, although the 80-year uh, cycles kind of gives me pause. But I, you know, I wrap up the article, cliche goes, we face a moment of great danger, but also one of great opportunity. And I think that that's very much the case. What say you?
You think we're moving into a new progressive era? Or do you think that the Republicans are just going to continue to prevail and we're going to get stuck in the Reagan era? Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, what's on your mind today? Oh, Jumbo and Guten Tag, <laughs> Thank Mr. You. Uh, Hartman. So. I uh, actually uh, wanted to, I'm calling you because I need an insanity check. And uh, as you know, recently, the United States has been uh, officially designated as a quote-unquote backsliding democracy. Yep. And constantly I am hearing throughout my life rhetoric from politicians in the U.S. about taking America back, making America great again, which re references something going backwards, uh, build back better. My question is uh, this, uh, Tom. I feel like I'm in a time warp. Uh, you know, right, I was born when the Voting Rights Act was passed. Um, subsequently, we had a Civil Rights Act uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, here it is, five-plus decades later, and I'm still seeing a nation that is struggling with voting rights and abortion and civil rights, and America's Negro problem, as I called it, as I call it. Here we are, still, all these decades later, litigating the same things. My question to you is this, is America evolving, revolving, or devolving? And before you answer, let me tell you this, Joyce has a really good answer for you. She said she wasn't going to tell you, but I thought I'd let the cat out of the bag. Okay. So, uh, so, so what did Joyce say? No, I'm not I'm not getting into that. Okay. I'll talk to her after this, after during the next break. Joyce is pretty brilliant, by the way. She really is. Yeah, she's written several books uh, that you can find uh, over on Amazon, and, and she does stand-up kind. She's an amazing person. Anyway. Um, she really is. Yeah, Go but ahead. Uh, I... I let me back up a little. This is this is what I intend to write on Sunday for my Monday, you know, newsletter rant, and also to do on the show on Monday. But I'll give you a little preview of it, as it were. And this, uh, Ro Khanna re referenced this that there's this piece in the New York Times, I think it was yesterday, about how we go through these eras. And you know, you, you and you and I have been talking for a lot of years. You know that I've been ranting about this for decades, uh, for at least a decade now, since I read uh, The Fourth Turning by Strauss and Howe that you know america has these basically ep epochs or epics or however you pronounce that word these these eras and i think that the the new deal era went from the 30s until the 19 until 1980 with reagan and now and and then we went from the reagan era from from reagan's election in 81 i would say we thought up until obama but he kind of stayed within the reagan guardrails and of course trump put us firmly back in there but Biden is breaking us out of that. And so I think that we are entering a new progressive era. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I, but I think that this is, if we don't get stymied by the fascists, if they can't shut us down first, which they're trying to do, I think that the next decade is going to be a really good decade for America. And it's because of a new generation coming up and people like yourself, Kenyatta, who are, who are growing in their activism and speaking out more loudly. Kenyatta, I got to run, but thank you for the call. 
Terry in Springville, Utah. Hey, Terry, what's on your mind today? My husband and I are probably the only Democrats in our area. Every night we sit and we watch TV. I, I'm an alternative listener of things other than mainstream media, like you. But we are so frustrated. You know, everybody says, call your representative. You know, tell them your mind. I mean, in Utah, really? Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, I get it. That's falling on deaf ears. What can we do in a such a, not even a Republican state, but a you-know-who state? What, what can we do? Yeah, first of all, Terry, I would submit to you that uh, in Springville, I'll bet there's a lot more Democrats than you realize. It's just that probably like you and your husband, they're keeping their heads down. I mean, you know, who wants to put a sign? Yeah, who wants to put a sign out that says basically, you know, light my house on fire? Um, but the Democratic Party is active in Utah. There is a, a, a real solid Democratic Party. They are looking for help. They are looking for volunteers. They want people to participate. And uh, I would strongly recommend that you reach out to them and ask them what you can do because that's that's the. You know, that's where the battle is fought, is, is between the political parties. Is that's, that's the most on-the-ground thing you can do. Okay. Have you, have you tried it? Have you had any conversations with the Democratic Party there? Um, back when Obama was running, right. I got a little bit involved, but then... Yeah. It just kind of like dispersed. Yeah, most people don't. Most people figure that the Democratic Party is like some giant machine that just kind of runs all by itself and it's out there and it's distant from me. But, but the Democratic Party is mostly made up of volunteers. Um, and, uh, you know, they're always looking for help. And, and I, don't think that, I don't think that this is a time for despair. I, I really believe that the Republican Party is... Has, has been so completely taken over by these jackbooted thugs, these bullies who want to impose something very much different from a Republican form of government here in the United States, from, from democracy on our country. And, and now they're starting to go to war with each other. And uh, one of two things is going to happen. Either Trump and his, and his Trumpies in the GOP are going to win, and it'll be the end of American democracy, or they're going to go down in flames, and there's going to be huge opportunities for the Democratic Party. And even if the Trumpies win and they try to end democracy in the United States, the Democratic Party will be the last bastion of resistance. So it needs all the help it can get, or they need all the help they can get. So I would encourage you, Terry, to reach out to your local Democratic Party. Odds are that they're having regular Zoom meetings. You might want to participate in one, just hang out for a while, ask a lot of questions, and then give me a call back in a month or two and let me know how it worked out. I will. Thank you for the advice. Okay. Thanks a lot, Terry. It's great to hear from you, and I appreciate you watching us on YouTube. Thank you. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. 
Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. And welcome back, Elaine in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Hey, Elaine, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, Tom. Well, I wanted to give you all a breaking report from Sandoval County last night. Sandoval County is very unique because it has 12 tribal nations in it. Mm-hmm. And we're in a battle here on redistricting. And last night at the county commission, the GOP bully pulpit in Sandoval County voted three to two for a plan that basically partisan and racially gerrymanders these districts. And they basically did no tribal consultation with any of the tribes. They broke up uh, traditional Hispanic communities in Bernalillo and Corrales, and they did some funny games within the city of Rio Rancho by taking precincts that voted for Biden by 10 points and grabbing them and throwing them to Trump districts that took those districts by 10 points. And we, as a community, didn't get the census information till October 14th. And they had a GOP mapper put this together, who was a former state senator. And they came forward in November with a meeting that would put it on the agenda at the county to be voted on last night. So it never went to the tri- for tribal consultation, which is the federal law. Okay. And the so what's the, the Elaine? Forgive me for uh, kind of hurrying you along here, but what's the okay. bottom line? What what is it that you want the people to know? The bottom line is is that we got a really bad deal last night, and we had no say mm-hmm. in any of these redistricting, and now we are not going to be able to win any precincts, uh, Democratic precincts in any elections. The elections that we've had for severe gerrymandering that has been going on for the last 10 years, Democrats lose every election by 50 to 100 votes. Mm -hmm. And so now it's even worse. And you're so right in what you're saying here is that we need to get up, we need to speak up, we, we need to stand up and speak up on these issues. And right now, this is a done deal. It's 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 going to have to play out in the courts. And that's exactly what they want to do, because they want to make sure that whatever is left of the Voting Rights Act, uh, they can strike down. I agree. And uh, and these guys are, are going for it. And so people need to be aware that this is going on at a very local level. We have a big fight going on at the state level, but this is a county level. And really, you know, this is where the grassroots really need to be rising up. So, Elaine, if there are any other people listening from Rio Rancho, New Mexico, what would you like them to do? (laughs) Very quickly, please. Um, You know, at this point, it's a done deal. 
Yeah. Unless we can change. How the about join your local Democratic Party and get active as a starting yeah, well, point? Okay. That's a, that's a starting I, point. I just, you know, I mean, at, at a certain point, this is what we have to do. We have to, we have to say, this is our side, and we're going to fight for this side. We were there last night, yep. and we were there in mass, and it didn't make any difference. And it doesn't make any difference to these people. They've had thousands of letters, phone calls, and it doesn't matter. They're going to do what they want to do, and it's just a few people who think they can tr- control the masses. Yeah. These guys here— They are the, uh, the political equivalent of bullies. Yes, that's what they were, and they, they took— a 20-year-old mapper who put together a plan that was very good and that all the tribes agreed with, which is a big deal. That's a major consensus. Mm-hmm. And they just totally dismissed everything, and they bullied this man terribly. Yeah. So, Elaine, I wish you the very best. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry I don't have a, a magic answer. I mean, I, I, I realize how difficult this is and what a challenge it is and how... Uh, how disheartening it can be to lose. But sometimes those losses in the individual battles can help you win the war by mobilizing people. I hope you can use this to, to, to spread outrage. As You're it were. listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Bill in Sarasota, Florida. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Regarding the border crisis, uh, immigration issue that we keep hearing about in the media all the time, I just want to know what your take is as it relates to why our media, along with all the politicians and pundits, never discuss the root causes as to why these folks want to come and travel so far to get to our border. Poverty, climate change, and, and failed states? Yeah, and the high uh, debt that these countries have to serve, which is draining them a lot of their own resources, and a lot of these countries have to deal with extraction projects that are internationally financed, that is running a lot of their farmers off their lands. And you, you mentioned the droughts and hurricanes, and all, and last of all, all the threats they have to deal with from violent gangs that are running drugs to our country. Those are just some of the the root causes. What's your take on all that? I agree with your analysis, uh, Bill, and I think that, you know, we need to be we need to be sharing more clearly with people the information about why people are trying to emigrate to the United States. You know, historically, it was economic opportunity and it was mostly from Mexico. Now what we're seeing is large chunks of Guatemala are turning into desert as a result of of climate change. El Salvador has been a wreck ever since Ronald Reagan turned it into a, a fascist narco state and, you know, sent, uh, oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, anyhow, sent one of his goons down there, you know, who, who uh, always seems to, to end up with death squads following in his wake. He, the same thing with Iraq. And, and, uh, and Honduras has been racked with, with uh, political violence as well since, since Reagan messed with them. I mean, this, this is the essence of the whole Iran-Contra thing. We, we set right. these countries up to fail, and now compounding that failure is climate change. And, and, right. and, and so you've got, uh, yes, poverty, but you know, people, don't, people will not leave their communities, their families, their neighbors, their, you know, their lives 
just to try to get out of poverty, generally speaking. And an individual might, you know, hey, I'll go to America for a couple of years, earn some money, bring it back home. I mean, that's how it used to work for many people in Mexico. But this is a completely different phenomenon that we're seeing now. We're seeing people who are fleeing literally for their lives. And and, right. and, 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 yeah. and and what we have to be doing rather than, you know, just saying, OK, you've got to wait in Mexico, uh, which is now, you know, what the courts have said. You've got Trumpy judges who have said, no, you've got to go back to Trump's policies, which I think is crazy. But in any case, well, I just, uh, we've got to be helping yeah. these countries. We've you know, we've got to well, be I, helping them put, yeah. put themselves together. Right. And, and I was you know, just, you know, the thing is. I just wish the media and and the politicians would speak out like you are the way you're delineating. I wish we could hear, you know, the public could hear more about that on on the mainstream media, but we're yeah. just not, and it's really sad. Yeah, I, you know, Americans, it's 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 just a shocking la- lack of empathy. I mean, just imagine what it would take, Bill, for you to decide that you were going to leave home with just one suitcase and walk a thousand miles. To, right. to, to get to, to you know to get, to get someplace that you would walk from from uh, Sarasota, Florida to, to central Mexico, for example, with one suitcase. Right. What would it take? How yeah. frightened would you have to be? I, I think it would be it well, would be huge, right? Bill, thanks. I gotta I gotta run, but thank you for the call. We'll be right back. Judd in Las Vegas. Hey Judd, what's on your mind today? I wanted to know a couple things. Whether you were aware of the man who happened to have your name in Michigan, who, who didn't, um, yeah, who, yeah, who refused to, to flip the thing. I, he's thing, no relation to me. I, I, I noticed I know, that I know, when it I happened, know. but yeah, I, but it, his name was William Hartman. Yeah, as I, I recall, believe. it was Hartman um, for sure. Yeah. Are you, are, are you aware uh, what became of him? No, I'm not. You hadn't heard? No. What happened? <laughs> he's another COVID death. Oh, I heard that on the radio somewhere. Yeah. yeah. That he, uh, you know, like so many of them who, yeah. you know, they just, what do you call them, true believers? Yeah. I'm with John Don on this. You know, every man's death diminishes me. I just, yeah. I, it's, yeah. I can't revel in, in the idea of anybody dying. It, yeah. It's just so unfortunate. I, 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 I mean, is it, isn't it incredible, John? This virus started in China. China has 1.2 billion people, yes. and they've had 5,000, fewer than 5,000. It's like 4,700 COVID deaths. That's amazing when you. When you pointed that out, I thought that was amazing. But I don't know why I the average American doesn't realize this, you know, that you can yeah. deal with it. I mean, uh, Taiwan has just a couple hundred COVID deaths. South uh, Korea, a few, I, mean, I think it, it's just around a thousand. If, if, and, and we all know that if the proper person, Hillary Clinton, had been in office when it happened, yep. that it would, would have been completely different. Yep. Well, the first, first so, thing, she wouldn't have thrown away Barack Obama's pandemic plan. Exactly. It's like people forget Uh, that, too, that, that, you know, in his first year in office, Donald Trump literally dissolved the two offices, one in the National Security Council and one in, as they're called, in the White House that were responsible for for overseeing and managing the the federal government's response to a pandemic that at the at that time that they came up with it during the Obama administration, they had no idea what it would be, but they had just seen SARS and they had just seen MERS. This was after MERS, you know, the Middle Eastern Respiratory mm-hmm. Syndrome. And and uh, right. so they put together this whole plan and Trump, you know, shut it down, fired the people and and dis- destroyed the documents. It was like they were left with nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's the crazy. man is nothing but a criminal. And, yeah. and to to think that he's still walking the streets, and I, I really wish, you know, uh, on Stephanie's show, she talks to a, maybe, I don't know if he's been on your show or not, Glenn Kirshner. 
Yeah, Glenn time. has been on our show. He's not a regular like he is yeah. with Stephanie, but yeah. Right, but you know, she was hoping he would be the, the the, uh, you know, in 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 Merrick Garland's position, uh, AG, right. and yeah, I think things would be. Oh, a lot the guy I think should be AG is Sheldon Whitehouse. You want yeah. you want somebody yeah, who's going to take names and kick butt? It's Sheldon Whitehouse. He he is the guy yeah. that I you know. I want Sheldon Whitehouse for Attorney General more than just about anything for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> John, I got to run. But, with him. Yeah. But, okay, thanks, thanks, one thanks. last thing. Yeah. Real quick. One last thing. You, you said that uh, Meadows is worried about uh, committing suicide, like like Jeffrey, uh, like... Uh... No, I don't think Meadows is, is on, uh, on the verge of anything like that. John, thanks for the call. Huntington Beach, California. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind? Twice last week you mentioned U.S. Code 20-1833. I can't find it. I was wanted to find. I think the you wrote it down so wrong, could... Larry. Uh, let me let me give it to you. It's 18 U.S. Code through the Justice Department. Yes. Yes, and now it's a big quicksand. Now it's quicksand. It's a criminal case. I don't, I don't think it's quicksand at all. I, I think these guys are facing some serious penalties, Jeff. A year in jail. Yeah. A year in jail is the most. This is not a, a serious... You know, that's not what they did to reporters when they wouldn't give up their sources. They put them in under remedial custody. Yeah. Not punitive. I, I get it, Jeff. I think a year in jail is is, is substantial. But uh, Jeff, thank you for the call. We'll be right back. Rosalind in uh, Camarillo, California. Hey, Rosalind, what's up? I was thinking about the Republicans refusing to work with Democrats to secure our 2020 elections, considering that our U.S. intelligence agencies proved beyond a doubt that 2016 was meddled with. My question to you is, how far back do you think this plan to, you know, overthrow our democracy has been in place? And how deep is this participation with the whole party of the Republicans. I well, just see this longer and longer train of evidence. I wondered what you thought about it. With regard to 
people in the United States who don't believe in democracy, who believe in basically an aristocracy, and, and this is an old tradition. I mean, this uh, John Adams was one of these people, right, our second president, um, who did not want the rabble to be able to vote. This is all that whole huge debate that happened during the first 20 years of our republic about whether people who didn't own property should be allowed to, to, to vote. Um, that, that faction in the United States, the right-wing billionaires, that, that really started in 71 with the Powell memo and throughout the late 70s and the early 80s you know, with the Reagan administration. And uh, you know, so we've had a, a fifth column within the United States since the 70s in a big way. And, and by the way, this is, this is essentially the same group, not literally the same people, but because it was a different generation, but the same group that, that uh, you know, went to Smedley Butler back in 1933 and said, let's, let's kidnap or murder uh, President Roosevelt and, and install a good conservative in the White House and, and you know, uh, nearly pulled it off. So there's, that's the domestic side of it. The international side but that of that was kind of under underground more than it is now. It's you're right. Like you're right. No, now, now they're out. Now they're out marching. You know, wearing fly, You know, wearing patches and waving flags. But the the foreign piece of it that's a really damn good question, Rosalind. And I, I don't I don't know the answer to it. I mean, we do know that that Russia and and several other countries were heavily involved in trying to swing the 2016 election to Donald Trump and appear to have succeeded right. in doing that. And that, well, they wouldn't uh, even agree to, you know, require the campaigns to report to the right, FBI right. if they were even contacted in any way um, for assistance or money or, you know, whatever right. kind of support. And we, and we know that they tried again in 2020, but they were less effective because by then Facebook had been humiliated by the by the by, by by how heavily they'd been manipulated in 2016 with the whole Cambridge Analytica thing. I mean, it was all out in the open, so they 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 dialed it back somewhat. Um, but yeah. whether this was going on in the twin, in, and that was you know 2016, whether this was going on in the 2012 election, whether it happened in the 2008 election, whether there was foreign interference in the 2000 election, I don't think we know. And I think that's a damn good question. And I would love to see us, you know, if if the select committee on January 6th wraps up their business, I'd love to see them moving in that direction. But I, I just don't sure know. Rosalind, I got to move yeah. along. But thanks for the call. That was a great one. JT in Austin, Texas. Hey, JT, what's up? Hey, Tom. Uh, great show today. I'm calling about the defense budget. So recently I heard a uh, Russian military specialist kind of mock the fact that the U.S. outspends its adversaries like, the, the, you know, the next or the next five uh, largest countries. We spend countries. more money than the next seven largest com countries combined, although China is rapidly changing that equation. Right. Well, he, he was mocking this because are we getting bang for the buck? I mean, what is the cost of waste in U.S.? It's probably about 30 percent. And is, and is that so isn't that a national security threat that they're wasting? We're wasting like practically a third of our budget. Yes, it is. On defense. Yep. And so like uh, so recently much has been made of uh, Chinese and Russian advances in hypersonic uh, missile technology and such. So that's not for a lack of U.S. spending in defense. And uh, so couldn't we clean that up and, and spend the uh, defense appropriations more efficiently and thereby shift some of that money into Build Back Better, which addresses climate change, which the Defense Department uh, acknowledges as a critical national security threat? Here's the problem, JT. The problem is that the Supreme Court said that if an industry or a company or a billionaire 
wants to own a politician and give that politician so much money that that politician basically just dances to that industry's tune 100% of the time, prior to the 70s, that, in fact, prior to the 80s, that was called political corruption and bribery. And we used to put politicians in jail for that. And we used to put people who bribed them in jail for that. The Supreme Court, uh, the pinnacle of this was Citizens United in 2010. The Supreme Court said, no, that's not bribery anymore. That's First Amendment protected free speech. When a corporation gives money to, to a politician, that's not money, that's free speech. When a billionaire buys a politician, that's not money, that's, a, that's not bribery, that's free speech. And as a consequence, uh, we have a defense industry where that is bribing our, our Congress just nakedly bribing them, you know, with everything from trips around the world to huge contributions to, uh, you know, building factories in their particular districts so that they can use them as, and the consequence of that is that we're wasting somewhere between probably 10 and 40% of our entire defense budget. We're building, and Conor, Congressman Connor was talking about this, you know, aircraft carriers are completely out of date. We've got satellites now. We've got, I mean, this, there's, uh, even the, 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 our, many of our missile systems are so out of date that they're antiquated. Why are we renewing them? Why are we rebuilding them? Why are we throwing more money at them? Because there's an industry that makes money building them. There's an existing yeah, I mean, industry. What did, what did we spend in Afghanistan? I mean, trillions? Yeah, yeah. Afghanistan <laughs> um, and Iraq, both, you know, each of them, depending on how you calculate it, probably cost us at least two trillion and maybe as much as three. And, and well, that's where I agree with your uh, previous caller, uh, Dominic. I mean, yeah. I don't see any option. We got to get tough. Uh, yeah, mean, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's absolutely true. And that's why yesterday I was saying it's time to take on the Supreme Court and take on this doctrine that money is money is free speech and that political bribery is, is just a fine thing. Thank you very much. We need to take on the Supreme Court with their Citizens United decision and say, no, we're not going to go along with this anymore. We don't want bribed politicians. We're, we're sick and tired of the entire Republican Party and the cinema and mansion faction in the Democratic Party and the so-called corporate uh, problem solvers, people like Kurt Schrader here in Oregon. No, we're tired of these folks. JT, thank you for the call. And welcome back, John in Mokina, Illinois. Am I saying that right, John? You are indeed. Okay, what's up? Uh, hello, Tom. Uh, I w just was calling to say that I'm getting exceedingly weary of uh, seeing these uh, these libertarian grifters shining us on about passing this legislation. And I believe that uh, we are rapidly approaching the time when uh, progressives are going to have to abandon the Democratic Party and create a progressive party to see to their interests. Why would you try to create a, I mean, creating a, a, a functioning political party is a multi-billion dollar enterprise. Why would you try to start a brand new one from scratch rather than take over an existing one? I mean, taking over a political well, party is not like trying to take over NBC. You don't have to walk in I've with been a billion dollars. Taking, for the past 10 years, I've been working towards taking over the Democratic Party in, in the interest of progressivism. 
and it's gotten nowhere. It has not gotten fact, nowhere, John. Last- Ten years ago, I did a fundraiser for the Congressional Progressive Caucus. At the time, Raul Grijalva was in charge of it. It had like a dozen members, and, and we raised a little bit of money for them. But, you know, and, and now you've got almost 100 members. Progressives are all over the place in the Democratic Party. And, and, and let me remind you, the number one message, that the, and this is in the Mueller report, the number one message that the re- Russian trolls were promoting in 2016 to support Donald Trump was both parties are the same or vote green. And, you know, it's like, yeah, the Green Party is wonderful. If we had a parliamentary system, I would be there with them. In fact, I think we need a parliamentary system, but we don't have one right now. We have two parties. Alex in Knoxville, Tennessee. Hey, Alex, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, So I'm a student here at the University of Tennessee, um, and uh, being where uh, I am in Tennessee, uh, we have a lot of the... uh, Turning Point USA um, messaging just plastered all over our campus, and they've been really going at it at these anti-COVID-19 containment uh, or mitigation efforts. I mean, the masking vaccines. I mean, this is a group, Turning Point USA, this is a group that is supported by the libertarian right-wing billionaires and the fossil fuel billionaires. I'm surprised that they're encouraging people to get sick. Hey, I'm all with you, Tom. Now, but the reason I'm calling is, is what what can progressive students do about this to try to counter this? Tell the truth. This organization that's funded by these billionaires that are, I mean, they're printing out stickers, plastering them all over campus. You can't even go to a gas pump in Knoxville nowadays and not see one of these weird Biden stickers pointed. I did this. I, I do what I can. I file uh, public records requests to the university to try to get the COVID-19 data. They, they try to keep it from us. Uh, I try to post about it. I try to be an advocate. But, but what should we do? Um, I don't and, have uh, a magic answer for I you, I've not been listening to your comments. Yeah, I don't have a magic answer for you. I, you know, the Democratic Party uh, used to sponsor clubs on campus. Although, you know, I mean, back when I was on campus, it was SDS. So I, I just, I, I'm sorry, I don't have an easy answer. It's, uh, it's got to be a really tough one uh, coming up against that. Cody in New York City. Hey, Cody, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. So the Democrats are terrible at political messaging. I agree. Okay? And the case in point for today, and, and uh, this, uh, this might be hard to swallow, but the case in point for today is the word neoliberalism. A neoliberalism is the worst possible term you can think of. I agree, right? now, particularly because it includes the word liberal. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. That's, exa- that's exactly right. And there's a, well, first of all, one thing is that nobody knows what it means, right? right. Nobody knows what it means because it's a highly academic term. And you can't just look it up and understand it really quick because it's so Well, every European understands what it means. And it came out of the, Mon- out of the, uh, uh, the Montpellerin Society. Uh, you know, you've already lost. You've already lost everybody, right. Tom. This is the point. We're talking about America. So, what's your alternative? And losing. Okay. Well, l- l- let me just say the the. Uh, I think that what what we need to do is we need to 
um, uh, replace this word with the term richonomics, right? Richonomics. The word that we. I've been using Reaganomics and Reaganism, you know, because that's also what it is. But that offends Republicans. Richonomics. Yeah. But richonomics, it explains it in one term. Richonomics. Right? And we need a term in our language. This, yeah. this term does not even exist in our language. No, Cody, I get it. I love it. I love it. Richonomics. You know, the, the problem is if you're going to try and introduce a new word and have it have any political potency within your lifetime, good luck. But uh, start the movement, Cody. I'll, you know, I'll salute it. Thanks a lot for the call. Time to put an end to richonomics. Tim in Syracuse, Utah. Hey, Tim, what's up? Didn't even realize there was a Syracuse in Utah. Yeah, it's about 30 miles north of Salt Lake City. Okay, so what's up? I just wanted to call in and uh, kind of defend the Capitol Police of why they didn't escalate the situation. You know, um, thank you. Shooting more people, or um, I, I, I truly believe they thought reinforcements were on the way. Oh, they like, had to be believing that. This is Washington D.C. You know, for God's sake. It's, yeah, it's, like. <laughs> Yeah, the National Guard was going to show up any any minute, and this would all be over. So, so they didn't want to do anything to, to escalate it, and they were just holding the line. Yeah, yeah, and I think you saw that, you know, with Officer Goodman, you know, le- trying to lead people away from the chamber and stuff. I mean, he was doing the they were doing the kinds of things that you do if you're expecting the cavalry is on its way. Um, I, I'm I'm with yeah. you, Tim. I, I think that was, that's a brilliant observation. And thank you for making it. No, everybody else kind of missed it. I missed that, too. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. Scott in Oakland, California. Hey, Scott, what's up? Hey, Tom. So I think people are missing one really important uh, question, aspect of the, uh, the uh, Meadows uh, PowerPoint about the National Guard there to protect MAGA. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's part of the presentation. Was that in the PowerPoint? I thought that was in a separate email. Okay, okay. Uh, okay, if it's not in the, it's not in the PowerPoint, it's still this, my point is still just as relevant. Right. Although oh, yeah. maybe maybe uh, maybe it's uh, not as as in, impactful. Anyway, point is this may have been a dangle to the 300 state legislators. Remember, they had a, a Zoom call with 300 state legislators. Yep. Uh, Trump did. Yep. And then they also were trying to pull in more people. This was a dangle. They were saying we have the National Guard. People are asking them, well, who do you have on your side? And they're saying, well, we have the National Guard. Which is almost the okay, definition is, of a coup. That's the definition of a military coup, actually, if you use the military to overthrow uh, yeah, the government. Well, well they, should look at, they should look at Christopher Miller, that airplane ride that he had back from on the 15th, I believe it was, January 15th, where he was crazy. He went out and talked to reporters on the airplane back, and he was out of his mind. You look at us, the Christopher Miller interview on the plane. He said, I can't wait to be out of this job. And you know, right. I wish I would have just been involved with pro- procurement questions. Right. I think that was the point, the point at is, which he realized that he was a participant in a in the crime exactly. of treason and sedition, and it was all going exactly. to come out. Exactly. The other point about this is, if you look at any of these situations like this, this is what the Kuplars always do in, in, in the Stauffenberger and, and uh, Valkyrie. 
in uh, July or, you know, leading up to the July uh, 20th bombing uh, Hitler's uh, 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 compound there in Poland. The, the group was looking. They, they, were, they were trying to pull in the, particularly the, uh, the guard of Berlin, the, uh, the, the military in, uh, barracks in Berlin. And he was skittish. He was on the fence. They were saying, look, we have all these people behind us. We have all these people behind us. The night of when uh, Stauffenberger flew back from uh, Poland, he got there late. They didn't get control of the communications. The, uh, the commander of the barracks waffled. And then he turned against Stauffenberger and the whole thing collapsed. Point right. is, this was a general counting. They were counting generals and they were trying to draw these state legislators. And I don't think it's I don't think we're looking big enough. We need to get those 300 that were on that phone in yep. front of a sworn commission. Yeah, or a grand jury. This is one, one other point. One other point. These guys always talk about their Second Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights of, you know, Second Amendment well-regulated militia. What's the first thing they tried to do? They tried to corrupt the well-regulated militia. Right, the National Guard, yeah. And which, which literally it's is the militia that the Second Amendment refers to. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And what do they do? These guys, they're, they're just the lowest, the lowest form of human on the earth. Well, I'm not sure I'd go that far, but they're 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 certainly traitors to, to democracy and to America. I'll, I'll I'll go along with that. This is treason. This is treason. Scott, thank you, thank you for the call. Excellent points, all. Boy, some brilliant callers here. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Things are getting interesting, and the treason, as Ed Perlmutter called it this morning, is becoming obvious. And uh, welcome to Tom Hartman University Book Club. And today we're reading from Unequal Protection, How Corporations Became People and How You Can Fight Back. This is Chapter 11. It's titled Corporate Control of Politics, page 170. During the bruising primary election season of 2008, a right-wing group put together a 90-minute hit job on Hillary Clinton and wanted to run it on TV stations in strategic states. Federal Election Commission ruled that the advertisements for the documentary were actually campaign ads and thus fell under the restrictions on campaign spending of the McCain-Feingold Act and thus stopped them from airing. Corporate contributions to campaigns have been repeatedly banned and in various ways since 1907 when Republican President Teddy Roosevelt pushed through the Tillman Act. Citizens United, the right-wing group, sued to the Supreme Court with right-wing hitman and former Reagan Solicitor General Ted Olson the man who argued Bush's side of Bush v. Gore as their lead lawyer. This new case, Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission, presented the best opportunity for the Roberts Court to use its five-vote majority to completely rewrite the face of American politics, rolling us back to the pre-1907 era of the robber barons. And if there was one man to do it, it was John Roberts. Although he was handsome with a nice smile and photogenic young children, Roberts was no friend to average working Americans. If anything, he was the most radical judicial activist appointed to the court in more than a century. He'd worked most of his life in the interest of the rich and powerful and was chomping at the bit for a chance to turn more of America over to his friends. As Jeffrey Tubin wrote in The New Yorker, quote, In every major case since he became the nation's 17th chief justice, Roberts has sided with the prosecution over the defendant, the state over the condemned, the executive branch over the legislative, 
and the corporate defendant over the individual plaintiff. Even more than Scalia, who has embodied judicial conservatism during a generation of service on the Supreme Court, Roberts has served the interests and reflected the values of the contemporary Republican Party. End of quote. And the fastest way the modern Republican Party could recover its power over the next decade was to immediately clear away all impediments to unrestrained corporate participation in electoral politics. If a corporation likes a politician, it can ensure that he is elected every time. If it becomes upset with a politician, it can carpet bomb her district and with a few million dollars worth of ads and politically destroy her. In the Citizens United case, the Roberts Court listened to arguments and took briefs and even discussed it among themselves as if they were going to make a decision. But instead of deciding the case on the relatively narrow grounds on which it had originally been argued, whether a single part of a single piece of legislation, in this case McCain-Feingold, was unconstitutional, the court asked for it to be re-argued in September 2009 and asked that the breadth of the arguments be expanded to re-examine the rationales for Congress to have any power to regulate so-called free speech by corporations. In this, they were going along with a request from Theodore B. Olson, who argued Bush v. Gore and would not now not just look at this narrow case, but go back nearly 20 years to re-examine and perhaps overturn their own ruling in the Austin v. Michigan Chamber of Commerce case, where the court held that it was constitutional for Congress to pass limits on corporate political activities, as well as its decision in 2003 to uphold McCain-Feingold as constitutional. The setup for this 2010 decision came in June of 2007 in the Federal Election Commission versus Wisconsin Right to Life case, in which the Robert Courts ruled that the FCC could not prevent Wisconsin Right to Life from running ads just because it was a corporation. The idea of Congress passing laws that limited corporate free speech was clearly horrifying to both Roberts and Scalia. Scalia went after the 1990 Austin v. Michigan Chamber of Commerce case, in which the then Rehnquist court had ruled that the Michigan Chamber of Commerce was limited in its free speech in a political campaign because it was a corporation. Scalia complained, this Austin was the only pre-McConnell case that this court had ever permitted the government to restrict political speech based on the corporate identity of the speaker. Austin upheld state restrictions on corporate independent expenditures, and God forbid the statute had been modeled after the federal statute the BCRA 203 amended. End of quote. The Austin case Scalia concluded, with four others nodding, was a significant departure from ancient First Amendment principles. In my view, it was wrongly decided. Scalia was quoted at length from opinions in the Gross Gene v. American Press 1936 case. In Scalia's words, quote, holding that corporations are guaranteed the freedom of speech and of press, safeguarded by the due process of law clause of the 14th Amendment. He also quoted the 1986 Pacific Gas and Electric Company versus Public Utility Commission of California case, the identity of the speaker is not decisive in determining whether speech is protected. Corporations and other associations like individuals contribute to the discussion, debate, and the dissemination of information and ideas that the First Amendment seeks to foster. The bottom line for Scalia was, quote, the principle that such advocacy is at the heart of the First Amendment's protection and is indispensable to decision-making in a democracy is no less true because the speech comes from a corporation rather than an individual. The book, Unequal Protection, How Corporations Became People and How You Can Fight Back. And uh, welcome back. Kino in Lakeland, Florida. Hey, Kino, what's on your mind today? 
Tom, I want to bring you glad tidings in this season of Christmas. Well, thank you. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, We have a chance uh, now. uh, There's a new book. Uh, I want to add this to the Moose Herder agenda. There's a new book out that can be a basis for organizing our health care system in the United States. It's called The Contagion Next Time by Dr. Sandro Galia. He's the dean of the School of Public Health at Boston University. And his book can be combined with your book if the Democrats will push for a humane health care system in this country next year in the 2022 elections, they can dominate and change history where they usually lose if they offer a humane health care system for this United States. And, and they can start with your book and Dr. Sand, uh, Dr. Galea's book, and uh, there, there is a possibility we need a humane health care system. We need it totally revised, and I encourage the Democrats to emphasize that for the election next year because everybody wants a good better health care system i agree i absolutely agree and it's great to hear that from a former republican Keno. thank you okay (laughs) yeah thanks a lot for the call uh jesus in mccallan texas hey jesus what's up and greetings from the Rio grande valley uh tom uh tom hartman the man who who deserves the presidential medal of freedom i said it before i'll say it again so what's up Um, so yeah, um, you know, Tom, I think that a lot of the problems in this country will be solved if just people would vote. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've, yeah. we're running between 50 and 60 percent voter participation in most states. It's higher in the states like, you know, Washington State and Oregon, where we have 100 percent mail-in voting. We sometimes will hit the high 60s or maybe even the low 70s. But uh, if, if people in my county here in Hidalgo County, mm-hmm. if people would have voted, we would have a better work uh, as our senator, not Ted Cruz. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the difference uh, in that race was about 50,000 votes. I live I live in an area where it's almost a thousand people who can vote. Mm-hmm. Um, but people just. So you have voting. an idea for a solution here, Jesus? Well, uh, maybe Dalco County uh, Democratic Party might get better organized. Try making a phone call to the Hidalgo County Democratic Party. Matter of fact, we can do it. We can do it live right now. I'll give you the phone number. You try calling in right now. No, I'll, I'll trust you that it's not going to work well. So why don't Nobody you join the Democratic no Party way. there in Hidalgo County and and say, hey, I'll take responsibility for making sure the phone gets answered. Well, I've tried calling, but nobody answers. Oh. <laughs> I would like to volunteer and say, you know what? I, you need so, send like, them a letter, send them an email, go knock on their door. I mean, Jesus, you are not without agency. You, you have, you, you have, you know, you've got legs, you've got an ability, you can do those things, right? I, you know, I mean, I, I've tried making phone calls yeah. and uh, over and over again, even if it's a presidential race, I can get nobody. Yeah. I can call Vicente Gonzalez, uh, my representative, and I'll get an answer every single time. Yeah. But if I try calling Hidalgo County Democratic Party, I will get nobody and no way to get a hold of them. Yeah, I'm with you. Jesus, I wish you the very best, and, and I encourage you to uh, take this uh, particular try. bull by the horns and go for it. I, I got to move along. But thank you, Jesus. It's always nice to hear from you. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's up? 
Hey, good morning, Tom, and happy holidays to you. And I want to say a special holiday shout out to all the healthcare workers on the front lines of the pandemic. It, it's just incredible what they're having to deal with day after day. All these people refusing to get vaccinated and then going to the same healthcare workers that they've demonized and asking the healthcare workers to save them. It's just incredible. And, and, you know, the GOP and Trump's messaging to their base regarding this pandemic reminds me of a line from Orwell's 1984. Uh, the party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. It was their final, most essential command. And, and, and let's remember, Tom, just like Karl Rove and George Bush before them, Trump and his acolytes, they always attack where they're weakest. If COVID-19 would have uh, gone out of control during Obama's last term or if, or if Hillary had won in 2016 and it had happened, uh, Trump would be on Fox News 24 hours a day, seven days a week, saying this would have never happened if he had been president. Right. You know, the GOP would never let the Democrats live this down. So, you know, we have to flip the script. Uh, fight fire with fire, as somebody was saying. Uh, you know, Biden and the Democrats, they need to go on the offensive with truth on our side. Uh, you know, besides being the original anti masker um, Trump, you know, and, and masking alone would have cut the death toll in half. But Trump's incompetence, his criminal negligence led to hundreds of thousands of unnecessary deaths. I'm with his own White House. You can, you can find it, Jeff, at TrumpDeathToll.org. It's 794,649 right now, and we need to be calling it the Trump death toll. I'm with you. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hart. Baum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabbermocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor Arroyo, and Carnet Verde, who all work together to help make this show work. And thank you to you for participating, for listening, for watching, for sharing the good word with your friends and neighbors about our work. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.